Hey, everybody. Um, it was wonderful to see you today. And I realized I forgot to mention um, before we got off our Zoom today that I will see you again because um, those, uh, those of you who have not yet received your fifth grade T-shirts, I'm going to be um, distributing those on Wednesday. And I will send your parents an email about that. Okay, so um, I realized that I got cut off um, at the end of chapter 40. So I'm just going to start there and then we'll go into chapter 41. Okay. Despite being classed as Category C enemy aliens, they were eventually put in an internment camp anyway and then sent to Canada on a ship called the Arendor Star. But the ship was sunk by a German U-boat and they drowned. More than 800 people drowned. I can't say how many of those people were on the side of the Nazis. I expect some of them must have been. But everyone knew that the Millers were the sweetest, most harmless old couple in the world. And there must have been others like them on the Arendora Star too, innocent people. The Millers had come to England for a new life because their home was not safe for them anymore. This is a good country, Mr. Miller had said to my muddy. A free country. They will see the truth in you. Grandpa Joe just shook his head when we heard about the Arendor star on the wireless. His blue eyes swam with tears. Okay, so now we're on to chapter 41. October was a cold, dark month, and Halloween was the coldest, darkest day of all. One of those very cruel autumn days that feel like a dress rehearsal of winter. All day long, the weather crouched over the lighthouse like a giant spider. Grandpa Joe went to Dover, to the magistrate's court. Mrs. Barron called by in the morning and asked him to meet her there in the, in the afternoon. She said there were some forms to do with legal guardianship that, had to, that, had, that he had to complete. So he caught the bus just after lunch. I thought how kind it was of her to be sorting things out for us when she must have been grieving terribly for Michael. Mads baked bread. I sat up in the lantern room and listened to her moving around in the kitchen below, the dough thudding ryth rhythmically into the flour on the kitchen table. Yesterday, she said there was something important she needed to talk to me about, but she wasn't sure if she was quite ready yet, and today it seemed that she could hardly look me in the eye. She had been spending more and more time more sorry, she had been spending more and more of her time out of the house. I watched her walking over the cliffs through the rain or fog. I wondered if she went up to the South Cliff to feel close to Michael in the same way that I felt close to Pa when I was looking out to sea. At last, I heard her footsteps coming up towards the lantern room. Can I get you anything, Pat? A cup of tea or anything? She could have asked me that through the speaking tube. I'm fine, thanks, Mags. Is Grandpa Joe still not home? I knew that he wasn't. Not yet. She sat down next to me. She was wearing a pale yellow scarf that might once have belonged to Muddy. Her hands were folded in her lap, and that made me think of Muddy, too, at the tribunal, her white hands twisted together. I need to ask you something, Pat, she said. The day the bomb fell, you said some things about Michael. We had not discussed it since. I had never told her that he attacked me, that he was chasing me across the clifftop when the bomb fell. Her heart had been broken enough. Those things true, Pat? Was he really the saboteur? What could I say? There were time there are times when the truth can be so much more cruel than a lie. Mags was staring right into me, and I was so close to saying, Yes, everything I said about Michael was true, and much worse besides. But then I said, 
it must have been the fall. I, I can't remember much about that last day. I, I can't remember what I saw, Mags. She looked at me for a moment longer, looked deep into me. Then she nodded and turned to stare out of the window. The afternoon sun was a band of rose gold light beneath the clouds. It shone warmly on her brow, her nose, the strong bones of her cheeks and chin. For a moment, she looked like the sister I remembered. I need to go out for a while, she said. It's getting dark, Mags. I know, but I shouldn't be too long. And Grandpa Joe will be home soon. Then she winked at me. Stay right here, pet. I smiled. Where else could I go? An hour or more passed. It was dreadfully lonely up there and dreadfully cold, too. The tide was high, but starting to drop now. The shape of the worm twisted beneath the waves like a ghostly serpent. It was hungry. I became aware of a faint high note buzzing in my chest. The song of the stones, a warning. But then, as I looked at the sea, I thought I saw something else, too, in the deeper water beyond the sandbank. A, a long, dark shadow. I squinted at it through Pa's telescope. What could it be? It was no use, though. It was getting too gloomy to see anything clearly now. As night closed in on the castle, it began to rain, heavy drops hammering on the lighthouse roof and strafing the windows. I wished with all my heart that Grandpa Joe would come home. What could have happened to him? There was a dogfight happening several miles out over sea. I could hear the whining of the engines and the rattle of the guns. Every now and then, there were bright showers of light in the sky like fireworks. The feeble wail of the village air raid siren seeped in through the edges of the windows, but, but I knew that I couldn't get down to the coal cellar by myself. Perhaps Dover has been bombed, I thought. Perhaps that why, that's why Grandpa Joe hasn't come home. But then I shook the thought from my mind. I can't start thinking like that. Not when I am all alone here in the dark. I'll drive myself mad. I closed my eyes and started counting, promising myself that either my, Mags or Grandpa Joe would be back by the time I got to 100. But I didn't get to 100. The darkness of the lantern room and the sound of the rain somehow cocooned me. The violence of the world outside was so muffled and so very, very far away. My mind slipped sideways into a dream of underwater shadows. There are creatures slithering down here at the bottom of the sea, pale, squirming serpents, fish and eels, disgusting and tortured and suffocating in this liquid darkness. I try to swim away, aware that a huge mass has shifted beneath me, the ocean floor itself lifting up, stretching out its scaled neck and tail, opening its foul, yawning jaws. It is following me through the black water. My lungs are bursting. I have been holding my breath for a thousand years. I stumble out of the water onto the sand, and I hear its hissing, rasping breath behind me. I scramble away. Its heavy, wet footsteps follow me. Its long claws scratch against the rocks. I can feel its rancid breath on my back as it lunges forward, reeking of saltwater corpses and rotting flesh. It has killed so many already. What made me think that I would be the one to outrun it? There is nothing special about me. I fall to my knees, sobbing and panting for breath. I know it will happen now. The bony jaws of the worm are about to close around me, and it will all be over. But the moment never came. I, suddenly I was suddenly completely awake, my ears ringing with the appalling noise that had woken me. Gunfire. 
I looked around in the darkness, my heart still baying from my nightmare. I strained my eyes to check every inch of the lantern room, listening for noises in the lighthouse in the cottage beneath me. But I knew the answer already. Grandpa Joe had not come back, and neither had Mags. Oh, dear. Okay, chapter 42. There were planes over the sea, just beyond the cliffs. Five, four, five of them, maybe. They were roaring at each other like mechanical dragons, spitting out fire and fury. The world beyond the lantern room was a blurred chaos of smoke and rain and noise. If I can just fall asleep again, surely the others will be home soon and everything will be fine. But I couldn't. Something felt dreadfully wrong. I managed to lift myself up in my chair a little and twist around to look out of the window behind me. Everything was velvet black. I couldn't even see the outline of the cottage roof until an explosion in the sky illuminated the world like a ball of lightning. And then I saw something horrible. It was long and pale and yellow, and it was lying on the grass just outside the kitchen door. Everything went dark again instantly, but I knew exactly what I had seen. It was the scarf Max had been wearing earlier, and the door to the kitchen was standing open. And there was something else there, too, a lifeless shape slumped on the wet ground. Max, I heard something several floors below, and my heart started to thump thump hard. Who can it be? Burglars? A saboteur? An enemy parachutist? What if this was the beginning of the invasion? I couldn't hide. I couldn't do anything or go anywhere. Another flash of fire in the sky outside, and I closed my eyes tightly. What is happening? What has happened to Mags? My brain spun through the dark maze of thoughts, and it came to its terrible conclusion at exactly the same moment that a noise from the service room made me gasp and open my eyes and turn towards the stairs. Someone is inside the lighthouse. Mags must have got in their way, and that same someone was now coming for me. There was a sound on the stairs, a soft, wet sound, but unmistakably a footstep, and it was soon followed by another, and then another. Something scraped along the wall as the footsteps ascended the stairs closer and closer, and I could hear another sound now, the hissing of its breath. I shook my head, struggling to breathe as the familiar terror took hold of my heart and lungs. It can't be the worm. It can't be. My nightmare had finally come to life. I had conjured it into existence with my dream and my fear. I stared in horror as the shadow of the worm now appeared on the wall in front of me, exactly as I saw it in my nightmare. It was a huge, distorted shape with the unmistakable, long, cruel muzzle of a dragon. It hissed again, and I tried to control my panicked breathing, telling myself that I would be waking up soon. I always wake up at this part, always. I will wake up at any second, any second now. But the shadow grew larger and the hissing of its breath grew louder and my arms were full of pins and needles. I closed my eyes tightly and waited. It made its last heavy wet step up onto the concrete floor of the lantern room. And then there was just the slow hissing of its labored breath. I pictured it there, scaly and pale and terrible, searching the darkness for me. I could hear the sound of a child sobbing in fear, and it took me a moment to realize that it was me. I thought of Mags lying there on the ground outside, and I was nearly sick. The worm has killed her. It has bitten her to pieces with, with its needle-sharp teeth. 
I forced myself to open my eyes and saw not a ghastly sea monster at all, but something very different. It was a slim, dark shape, a human shape, dressed in a long black raincoat and carrying a lantern. Its face was covered, covered with something I mistook in silhouette for a dragon's muzzle, something I should have recognized immediately. It was a gas mask. There was another long hiss as the figure drew its breath through the mask. Then it reached up with a black gloved hand and pulled the gas mask from its face. Oh, well, isn't that exciting? And you're going to have to wait to find out who is behind the gas mask. So um, I am just looking through here and I think it's up. I'm going to read some more chapters tomorrow, obviously, but I might may end up finishing up on Wednesday. So, so t stay tuned. I will finish. This is a great story. I love it. I hope you guys are loving it as well. All right. Um, so have a good night and um, I will be seeing you again soon. All right. Bye-bye.